Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you, Aaron Grant, for pitching this as an episode idea and for making it happen. This episode is all about storytelling. What does a good story need? What are the mechanics? How to build a compelling brand through the power of a story? To tackle this topic, I'm joined by Jeff Canalupo, who is the founder and general partner at Listen Ventures, and Brentos Fernandez, who is the head of creative at Listen Ventures. Listen Ventures backs and builds the brands of tomorrow, including Calm, KiwiCo, Factor, Catchco, ID, and Slumberkins. Without further ado, here they are. Brentos and Jeff, thank you so much both for joining me. How are you? Great. Doing great, Mike. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Really looking forward to collaborate and obviously hear both your stories. And talking about, speaking of stories, what makes a good story in storytelling? Because I know that you both are storytelling experts and really think about these elements relating to brands and also founder stories very, very closely. My first question to you both is, how do you craft a really good story? What are the elements? I think... What a lot of brands need to craft a great story is an enemy. Finding something that you can push against, something that you can champion for, finding that enemy out there in the world a lot of times is counterintuitive to uh, birthing a, a company and a brand, but pushing against someone is a really a great way to start to understand what you stand for, um, what your purpose is in the world, who you like, who's your friends, all of those sorts of things. And creating a narrative around that as to why your brand stands for something is incredibly important for the businesses we see. The storytelling for a business and a brand has to also include the consumer and the user. How do they participate in that story? Every person kind of wants to be a hero. And so how do you, as a brand, make them that hero as part of that narrative and, and bring them into the fold for participation? Those are really good sentiments. I think what I particularly loved was talking about how you need an enemy. We talk a lot on the show about these rising cult brands, per se, where the customers are just so passionate about the particular brand or the products that they sell. Is part of the reason in order to become maybe like a cultish brand or just have that kind of consumer love, what is like the enemy's role in that context? Like, Do you need like an enemy there in order really to have something that you're not, right? Or something that, that is totally anti what you stand for in order for to kind of address that or just to have that like, consumer love. Yeah, I think it galvanizes folks, right? I think with so many brands to choose from out in the world today, being able to understand what a company really stands for and what they're all about, a good way to do that is to really define that enemy and, and kind of go in with it with your consumer, right? As Jeff kind of said around keeping your consumer um, top of mind, how can your customer or your consumer get in on that fight against the enemy. And if that's if that's traditional way of doing things, if that's sugar uh, for like a, a better for you like drink or something, right? There's novel ways to start to, you know, kind of think about what you're pushing against and inviting that participation with your consumer to really attack that and to um, think about a fresh narrative. It's not just the Coke is it, right? Having a deeper narrative around why you're doing things differently often helps really galvanize that audience. It's kind of funny when you get a founder in talking with us who 
is a nice guy, right? And they want to sell their product to every person in the world. But sometimes finding that enemy and, and sort of what you, do, what you don't stand for is a way to put the message out there in a different way than, than other folks have done it. So it's funny that you have to dig deep sometimes to find that enemy um, when it comes to what that means to your brand. As Brentos usually likes to say, the, the riches are in the niches. In the sense of focus, I think helps storytelling. And it's really hard to have a story resonate with everybody because if you're for everyone, you're really not for anyone. And so, you know, we like to have a very, I guess, what we're looking for when we meet entrepreneurs or listening to founder stories, et cetera, is just a really crisp understanding of who, who are they building the story for? Who's their audience? Why are they buying in? Why are employees going to join that fight that Brentos is talking about and get up every day and leave a big company to come work at a scrappy startup and go to battle? Those are all really great points. It reminds me of a conversation that I had with Joe Cudlow, the founder of Viore. When he was thinking about the Viore brand, it was very much Southern California inspired. And one of my questions was, well, how do you then capture that Southern California feel when you're trying to appeal to, you know, someone in Minnesota that had never been to the beach? Right. And what he said was that he believes that brands in order to be successful need to have a point of view, need to have a very clear point of view. And that I think both of your sentiments that it's not for everybody, not to say that people in Minnesota don't buy Viore or anything like that, but just in terms of like the look of the feel of the brand needs to actually be very consistent and actually come from, as you say, like a particular niche. Just to add to that, Mike, I think it's it's got to come from an authentic place. Authenticity is what consumers respond to. And it's also why I think that you're seeing such a proliferation of innovation that are that is pushing against incumbent brands. That the longer a brand has been out there, the harder it is to maintain authenticity around what you started. And so startup brands for us are exciting places to go invest because they're a clean slate. It's very hard for a massive food company, you know, let's use Nestle as an example to say, we're the healthy food company. Now they need to be the healthy food company today because that's what consumers are demanding, but they haven't always been the healthy food company. So when you peel back the onion, that story has holes. And I think what's exciting about innovation and startups in general is that you're starting the story from scratch. It's a clean slate, which allows you to make every decision through that lens which hopefully means that your story as it evolves is harder to poke holes through. With that being said, what makes to you as investors and when you're seeing so many brands in the market, right? There's so much maybe noise out there because it's, it's never easier than ever to start a company, never harder than ever to build a brand just because there's so much competition out there. What actually is authenticity to you? Because it seems like when I look at brands like, oh, like that's authentic, that's authentic. And, you know, some of them make it, some of them don't make it. And so I'd love to hear kind of in your eyes how you can kind of peel back the onion and really get a sense of, in your own view, if a brand is, is truly authentic. I think there's a lot of manufactured authenticity through story. And I think what it really comes down to is like just getting at the, the truth to how the company was started, who started it. What was the reason for starting it? And I think authenticity is really about meaning. We see a lot of companies, we often get pitched by people that say, hey, hey, I've looked at 60 categories that haven't had a good D2C model and I picked one and I'm going to go build a big company. And I, you know what? Some of them are really successful with that model, but it's very inauthentic um, versus somebody saying, hey, I launched this company because I believe that the world needs this product or the, this service or it should be looked at differently. And here's why, and here's 
all the people that I've talked to that also believe that it should look this way. And I built the community around it and we started to have some movement. And so a lot of times some of the brands we're looking for, it's, it's almost like a movement versus um, just a product or, or an innovation. Yeah, listen, we'd like to say we back founders that are consumer obsessed, right? They go deep on understanding who their core brand champion is and really understand that psychographic to enable for the brand to grow, right? So like being able to have that um, core consumer in mind who might share the message, who might really add to that story of authenticity versus a brand just broadcasting out into the world, hey, we're the best of the best or the truest of the true. Having a little bit of the truth in the consumer really helps to elevate authenticity and make sure it's, it's resonant beyond the brand telling you we're an authentic brand. How do you also think about brands that where there is a face to the brand? Like the founder is very, maybe this founder might not be like a celebrity before, but very much like the founder, it's very founder driven versus brands that maybe aren't kind of in the picture, like right on the center cover. Is that more risky investing in brands where there actually is a face to the brand? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's it's certainly an opportunity. We're always looking for a brand to have more than just a product, right? Like a brand is more than just a product. A brand is a collection of experiences, right? So having a face to the brand or a person connected to it automatically means there is content in the world. There's something for the consumer to latch onto and say, this is more than just this product you're trying to sell me. This is a, a real human being and they got into it for these reasons. And you get into sort of some of that pitch or the, you know, the sell there. But it's certainly an opportunity when couched in the right way. You have to be a good editor of those founders' personal brands, but certainly can be positioned in a way that uh, helps the company build story and content outside of the product. Those are really great points. Jeff, do you have anything to add? It's interesting, right? We're living kind of through what I like to call is like a, a convergence, right? Social media and everybody having a supercomputer in their pocket kind of becoming ubiquitous in 2008, 9, and 10, right? Like those two converging trends created what I like to call like the movement towards where every brand needed to start to act more human. And guess what? Humans started to act a lot more like brands. And so we're living in this really interesting time. And I think you've seen it through the rise of celebrity brands and through the rise of Kim Kardashian, right? She is a force of a brand herself. And she's also built business on top of that personal brand. And so it's a really interesting time. And the reality is, is that everyone's their own media network, right? We all have many ESPNs, right? Because my Instagram following, even though it's tiny, is an audience that wants to know what Jeff's up to. And so in this new world, it's hard to separate personal brand and brand. How much you play into that, I think, is determinant based on the founder and, and you know, how much their voice matters to the topic they're trying to, to help change. When entrepreneurs come to pitch you, what is usually missing when they storytell about their journey? What have you seen that maybe are... I want to say mistakes, but more so like elements that you think that entrepreneurs might be missing. I, I think sometimes missing the mark starts with just talking about the product and all the work that you've done around getting it built or getting it developed or getting it manufactured versus the story really being born out of the consumer need and the human side of it. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, like brands are built through emotional connection and I think you have to understand what's going to create believers. And I think that, you know, the story needs to be 
the insights that allowed you to articulate why you've come up with this solution or product and how you're going to emotionally connect with your audience. And I think sometimes it misses the mark if you come in and all you're talking about is the innovation that you created and, you know, it's the product, 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 feature, feature, feature. That's a really, really good point. Like overemphasis maybe on the product, but actually not on the actual emotional connection or, you know, the able to actually story tell how that product could actually impact and really solve like a true pain point for you. But is that also like an opportunity since you are both branding people? Is that also an opportunity where it's like, hey, like you guys have like an awesome product. We love the vision. We love that. We think this is solving a real problem. Partner with us because we're the ones that actually understand that can help you drive and really appeal or show through your messaging that like emotional connection to audiences. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of awareness around what branding is, what um, a logo is, or what colors I'm picking for my company. I think it's really eye-opening to think about the brand as a collection of experiences and to go deeper with a entrepreneur and like understanding how we might build an experience beyond the product. That's really eye-opening for them to understand it takes a purpose, right? It takes a purpose for the company in the world, and it takes a personality out there in the world that helps you break through the clutter and advertise that purpose, right? I think it's a journey with every entrepreneur and sort of understanding the language around how we think about strategic brands and purposeful brands in order to help them grow into not just a product, but a, a platform that allows folks to participate. And, you know, there's new products that come down the line, but it all really centers around this idea of a purpose and a human at the center of that purpose for the brand to exist in the world. Do you mind breaking down a little bit what you mean by collection of experiences? It could be examples or just like kind of like go a little bit deeper. I think that so much of what brand means is those collection of experiences, whether that's customer experience, whether that's an advertising message, um, whether that's the culture inside of a company. Brand is a sum of all of those different elements, and there's ways to kind of create consistency. And I, I think that so many of our, our young entrepreneurs come in, they might have a, a great ad campaign or a, a, um, a way to really find that consumer, but are having trouble scaling the company. That's why they want VC investment, right? Is to scale the company and scale the message. So, so much of these things are to give, um, so much of what we do is to, you know, that really that, that playbook as to how do I scale consistently? How do I keep the message consistent? What are those, how do I talk about this in a way that others aren't and provide a path forward for that consistent you know, relevant experience for consumers. We really think of it as brand moments, right? Every touch point that you have with a company can be a brand moment and you need to think of it that way. So even if it's just transactionally, if it's confirming a purchase or a email that it's shipping, like those are all potential brand moments uh, for you to insert uh, your voice and to create some affinity around what you stand for and making that top of mind as far as compassion and brand equity. That's so true. That's so true. I don't know, Jeff, if you have anything to add as well to that. I think Brento's covered a lot of it. At the end of the day, it's just every brand is a work in progress. That's another Brento's famous-ism. And what that, means is, what that means is that if you don't have the right lens to make sure that as you're coming up with new experiences or new touch points or new media strategies or new communication, and if it's not going through the same lens, then it's not going to leave the consumer with the ultimate experience that you want them to. And it's it's the aggregate of all those experiences that allow somebody to have a relationship. Every brand is a work in progress. I really like that statement because I'm wondering like how you think about it as well 
if every brand is a work in progress, I know it's a constant kind of evolution or iteration based off um, kind of customer, which is why DTC channel is so great because you can get like that feedback loop is just so powerful and magnetic and, and really quick. But if every brand is a work in progress, what are the elements or like checkboxes that you have to see in order to get you both excited about a brand? And then maybe what are some of the elements where, you know, it's, it's not there yet um, and that's okay, if that makes sense. A lot of our work is even pre-brand. Um, how are we finding new categories to go after? And not even categories so much as cultural tensions. What is happening in the world? What is the fuel for a company to exist? And going deeper on that um, allows us to, you know, when we see a pitch, to reframe certain categories even, like right? Like thinking of a sex toy business as as a holistic wellness business is is something that is as for instance, right? Like allowing us to really kind of think differently about some of these problems and align with why some of our founders are passionate about the solutions that they're finding, really tapping into those, that momentum and culture and points of tension. Every business kind of has that at their core if they're going to be a great brand. And we really hope to find that when an uh, entrepreneur is pitching us. That's a really good point. And I think that what I appreciate about your example is that it started off in the niche, even though sex toys is like actually a massive category, but you're starting off on like a niche per se, if you talk about that specific category, and then look at it from like the actual broader sense of how can we actually expand or how is our messaging and our brand overall could actually, or maybe use cases for solving other problems that maybe you might not associate with sex toys, which is might not be what you maybe want to like align yourself with, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that we work with all of our founders to elevate that vision to fresh communication. You know, it's all part of that personality. How do you start to shape a message around something that maybe a tried and true a way to communicate something? How do you come up with a fresh way to communicate that to your audience and plug into a cultural movement. It's, you know, that's how you align with consumer, but also, you know, use that passion to really create a strong personality and, and brand voice in the world. Yeah, it's a really, 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 really good point. Um, Jeff, do you have anything to add as well? That's exactly what we look for pre-brand. We're trying to identify, you know, what, what are the conversations happening in culture that are shifting? Those are always good places to mine, right? Like creativity lives in intention. In that's when you can kind of have a crafty, unique point of view about something that needs to change. And so that's kind of where it starts. When you meet an entrepreneur, regardless of where they're at in the maturity of the business or the brand, you get a sense for why they're pushing against that tension, why they're doing it, and, and how they're thinking about solving it. How do you define community? Does every brand also need a community in order to, to be successful? In days of the past, it's been community equals social media. That's not what it means, right? Like, it's not just who's following you or who's liking a picture. It's really those folks that have come together to champion the brand and talk about the brand in a way that you maybe haven't even dreamed about. As you create those, those opportunities for folks to get together, you know, how do you as a brand connect consumers together um, what channels are they? You know, is it a piece of content? We, we're always looking for brands that are on the cusp of having a great community. I think that that's always where you're going to find innovative brands being built is when there's some buzz around a particular company or, or an offering and finding which channels those are aren't necessarily the social channels. Humans want to be a part of something, right? Like we're, you know, our nature is to be part of a tribe. 
a brand that allows a platform for people that are like-minded to come together and experience things or discuss things and converse about things is really what kind of the catalyst of community is around a brand. And so, you know, does every brand need a community? I, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of product companies out there that have been super successful selling a bunch of product to people, but, you know, haven't facilitated any deeper relationship or any conversation around something meaningful. Can that be a good business? Sure. Is it a brand that we're going to likely back? Probably not. Um, and so, you know, to us, it's a little bit more about the ingredients we see in, in what we want to build in meaningful brands that, that, that we're excited to back and build. I think that sometimes I feel like what maybe some of the confusion is around community, I would love like to know your thoughts about this as well. Whereas I feel like there's like one camp where community is engagement with the brand. So it's like customers talk with the brand directly and kind of measuring that and saying, we have a community here because we have strong, you know, engagement metrics and like all these things are happening and people love us. Or is it one level deeper where you actually have the brand as like a vessel almost to actually meet other people and actually meet people that you wouldn't have, maybe you wouldn't have met or, or, or knew existed if it wasn't for the brand. It doesn't have to mean like they're like your best friend or anything like that, but just like being, being like a vessel to actually meet. Badging a brand is why people feel galvanized around Patagonia, right? Like people can get in on a mission, you know, or feel a part of a group because they see that logo on a jacket, right? And so it's an excuse to have a deeper conversation. Oh, you like that brand? I do too. Have you gone climbing or whatever, whatever, right? So like, I think there's a lot of that, even just with food and beverage and restaurants, like everybody is saying something about themselves with the brands that they choose. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of aligning yourself with uh, modern consumers, aligning themselves with the values of modern brands. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity to be that conversation starter and that wedge to meet other people. And I think that some of our companies have that opportunity and, and have, have leveraged that. A company like Slumberkins are social emotional learning for kids, right? Like the stuffed animals and the mantras teach kids better awareness of social emotional learning and, and their emotions and that sort of thing. But the community of moms and parents that and caregivers that have gotten together to talk about their lives, that's the brand. That's, a, that's part of that experience because it's focused on this idea of Slumberkins connecting folks, right? So like that's a perfect example of at a young stage having almost Patagonia like passion around a brand. I also think Mike in terms of like going back to like looking for you know what do we look for or how do we start the name of our firm is listen for a reason right it's like how do you go listen to the conversations that we believe are going to start to gain momentum and you know it's it's interesting but like things that start really small niche right like you want to talk about community the crypto community right it 10 years ago was like 10 people on Twitter. And now, like, I would say 75% of my feed is people talking about crypto. You know, that is a community that was born out of like-minded people believing in this shift in decentralization that, you know, this new technology was going to enable. And then you look at what started to surface in terms of real interesting kind of worlds around blockchain and you think, see things like Board at Yacht Club, right? Like, that is, that is a community, a, a deep community in and of itself, where people are badging their profiles with their ape, and it's a limited number of them. So there's only a certain amount of people that can be in that community. And guess what? Like, they're all proud to be part of it, and they're talking about it every day. And so I think it's a great modern example of what it means to kind of build community into a business model. 
No, those are all great points. And Jeff, crypto did rebrand to Web3. I totally hear what you say. I also, what I really loved, Brentos, about what you said is it's a reason to engage, which I love how like soft touch that is almost. Like, hey, you're wearing Patagonia. I'm wearing Patagonia. I mean, I'm actually wearing Patagonia. But, um, but like you have this like connectivity and like almost like awareness that the person is like, so they might have, you know, maybe similar values or... Um, you know, enjoy, simply might enjoy like the outdoors or, or to hike. I really like how it's almost like a reason to engage, a reason to like start a conversation or, or, or so. Like that is, I think that's a great way to, to just think about what community is in a very simplistic term. Yeah, shared values. I mean, that's spot on right there. You know, if I could put point to one thing. No, totally, totally. So once a brand gets acquired, Right. And I know we talked about Nestle a little bit earlier, just like a lot of the incumbent players have like a long history of, you know, producing if they're trying to get into better for you, producing products that aren't better for you, for example. And I know obviously as VCs, you guys love exits, but when have you seen the brands thrive under, you know, new ownership? And where do you think that there's like oftentimes maybe like a mismatch, maybe the brand has been um, really hard to be authentic per se when you're under incumbent large company? I would say, I would just jump right, right out and say, I think RX Bar um, was an interesting one because that's that's kind of the idea of better for you and a whole new way to think about eating healthy or supplemental eating. But when they required, it's one of those things where the message was able to be scaled and the sharp elbows, they were able to keep the sharp elbows like the no BS campaign of no BS in these bars and, and you know no BS um, in our commercials. So I, I think that's an example of something that was you know pretty successful in keeping true to the reason the product existed versus changing the message because it's you know part of a bigger conglomerate now, right? I, I think that's a great example. I think Brent is touching on this a little bit, and I think it, the story is yet to fully unfold there for our Rex. But you know, it's about giving the company you acquired the space to continue being who they are. Where I've seen it go awry is when the acquisition closes and immediately you know the the conglomerate that bought them is starting to put in you know new leaders, and and what it does is it changes the culture. And so much about a lot of these brands is the culture and that culture could be, but the speed at which they operate, the sharp elbows in which they feel comfortable communicating, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Once you mess with the culture, the lens to make decisions at the company changes and therefore you start to get off track. And so um, consumers can sense that, right? And it might be, oh, changing the formula because we know we can get 5% more better margins. And guess what? The consumers backlash because it tastes like shit. So like, these are delicate situations, and I think that the companies that ease their way into allowing the, the existing team to maintain the kind of operating cadence and culture that got the brand to where it was are going to fare a lot better than those that come in and think that we know better because we're the bigger, bigger guy that just bought you. Such a great point. My final question to you both is maybe what's one book that inspired each of you personally and professionally? I guess I would point to a book that early in my career, a book by Leo Burnett called Star Reachers that is a great story about advertising, but a really good story around thinking about the consumer and bringing a message in a fresh and creative way and the systems that are kind of used in marketing and that sort of thing. I think there's some timeless lessons in there. Um, and then if I would point to maybe a newer book, there's a book called Scratch by Tim Gallus that I really love for contemporary whole brand. Um, I would totally recommend it to all the listeners. 
I'll take Brantos's cue and give two as well. My first one is, uh, there's a book called uh, Abundance by Peter Diamantis, which is, um, I guess it was probably written in 2011 or so, but it was about a pretty optimistic view in, in a pretty pessimistic world, which is that, you know, this idea that given the innovation economy, we're going to be living in a world of abundance, not a world of dire um, straits, which is what we all kind of sit and think through every day and as we approach climate change, et cetera. And so what I liked about the book is that it's uh, it's not just this kind of rosy picture. It's actually a playbook for how we can get there from through entrepreneurship and through really big thinking. And then he followed it up with another book called Bold, which was actually kind of an entrepreneur's playbook to take advantage of those abundance opportunities and, and go build companies that, that could scale these opportunities. So very good. And then the other one I'll throw out there, just more culturally relevant, is um, the book called Three Kings, which is a book about kind of like the emergence of hip hop that kind of talks about Diddy, Jay-Z, and Dre. And uh, Brentos and I have a longstanding passion for kind of hip hop as it relates to actual brands. We think that the hip hop movement is actually kind of the start of the revolution of how you think about modern branding. And and so that one is uh, is just filled with incredible history about how that, how hip hop kind of evolved. So much, so much about authenticity in, in hip hop and what we're talking about today for sure. It's amazing. That's amazing. Really excited to add all these to the book list. This is great. Well, Brendan and Jeff, thanks again for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much. And there you have it. It was so much fun chatting with Brentos and Jeff. And there you have it. It was so much fun chatting with Brentos and Jeff. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. 